WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latte from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. This is all of it. I'm Allison Stewart. Tomorrow, the Princeton University Art Museum is opening an exhibition titled Cycle of Creativity, Allison Saar and the Toni Morrison Papers, featuring the work of the L.A.-based artist Allison Saar. Saar's work often represents and explores black identity in the context of American history. She is the sculptor behind the statue of Harriet Tubman on 122nd Street, the first black woman to be commemorated with a public sculpture in New York City's history. And she created that Lorraine Hansberry piece that was in Times Square and is now at the Brooklyn Academy of Music, where one of Hansberry's plays is being staged. Cycle of Creativity is on view at the Princeton Art Museum until July 9th. And joining me now is Allison Saar. So nice to meet you. Thank you, Allison. It's nice to have a fellow Allison <laughs> and to chat spe- up with. And spelled the right way. <laughs> <laughs> um, the title is Cycle of Creativity. What are you trying to communicate with this, this phrase? This is a phrase you've used before. Yeah, and I think this is something that um, both Mitra and Autumn kind of connected with in terms of just really kind of how I think both Tony and I are sort of looking to the past while addressing the present and looking towards the future. And I think, you know, that these things come up over and over again. And unfortunately, sometimes we're feeling like we're, you know, playing the same record over again. Um, You know, we're re-experiencing some things that we thought were done a while ago. Hmm. (laughs) But um, I think also I was really interested in kind of this idea of creating and and making. And it's really lovely to see, um, you know, my work alongside uh, the manuscripts of, of Toni Morrison's and to just really understand what goes into crafting something? When you were thinking about pieces to choose, if you would share an example with our audience of a piece that you chose that's in conversation with something from the archives. Um, you know, I haven't personally had access to the archive yet, and I'm looking forward to coming out to see it. But, you know, just in terms of looking kind of at her work and, um, you know, a, a lot of things connect. I mean, her, you know, jazz, in the book Jazz, writing about, you know, Harlem. And, of course, Harlem was a really big part of my development. I moved to New York in 81, 82. And um, so I think um, some of those places, there's kind mm-hmm. of connections. Um so I would. So I think those um, jazz pieces, the the, the dancing uh, prints and stuff like that, really kind of connect with with her work in that respect as well. 
So you didn't just move to Harlem. You were an artist in residence at the Studio Museum in Harlem, (laughs) which is fantastic. Um, And it's just a a wonderful program. When you think about that time, um, how did the energy of that neighborhood inform your work and impact your work? You know, it was interesting because growing up, I'm in in Laurel Canyon, which is probably as far from Harlem as you can get, both um, through mileage and kind of culturally. It's it was really interesting coming to a place where, um, you know, I was really always intrigued with all of the art and the music that has come out of there historically. And so to kind of actually be in the thick of it, it was just really incredible you know it's just a really charged energy and I love the people on the street and just it was just really incredible so it was really invigorating to kind of be in that place at that time you know just coming out of you know getting my MFA and and kind of just uprooting and and coming to to Harlem it really was I think really meaningful in terms of the development of my work. My guest is Allison Saar. Her work will be on display at Princeton University Art Museum as part of Cycle of Creativity, Allison Saar, and the Toni Morrison Papers. So the, the pieces in the exhibition, are, are they linocuts? Am I using the right language? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Tell, yeah, tell us a little more about the technique and when you started using it and, and what it allows you to do. Right. Well, I think, you know, because I'm a wood carver, you know, I, I, as a sculptor, I just chose the tools that I had access to and, and wood was something, especially when I was living in New York, I could just grab off the street. Um, you know, I think my first wood cuts were made out of drawer line, you know, pieces of drawers and chiffero that we busted up. Um, and so I was really interested in, so I had done been doing woodcuts for a while. And then, you know, when it came to doing this project, which actually originally was part of um, the Metro Transit Authority's uh, Metro North um, train station commission that is um, also on 120, uh, in 125th Street, 125th Street in Harlem. And, you know, the, the, um, So it's basically just cutting and, you know, each of those prints are four blocks, three to four blocks. Um, Each color represents a different block. So um, I think to do the entire series, I had carved over 64 blocks, which is a lot of blocks. Um, But, you know, the reason behind that was, you know, I think from the time I was at the Studio Museum in, in the early 80s to coming back and, you know, maybe like 2007 up until the present and visiting how much the, you know, Harlem had changed and um, you know, all of my favorite soul food restaurants were gone and all my favorite kind of storefront churches had moved on. And, and it really was kind of painful to see that, you know, so much history is being erased. And so I really wanted to kind of document that sort of heyday of, you know, you know, jazz in, in Harlem and, you know, where every corner had some amazing uh, club going on. So mm-hmm. that's really what that series came out of. Um, this time my follow up on that is, is there's music as a consistent theme in some of, of the work. Um, one, do you listen to music when you are working? I listen to music. Yeah, when I'm working and a lot in general, I mean, even if the imagery isn't music, often the titles are drawn from from music. So, yeah, it's just really powerful. And I, you know, I view it as a a form of poetry. I view it as a form of resistance. So, um, yeah, music's a a huge part of my, my process. 
My guest is Alison Saar, the artist. We are talking about her practice as well as the exhibition Cycle of Creativity, Alison Saar and the Toni Morrison papers. Do you have a, a memory of when you first read Toni Morrison? Uh, well, Bluest Eye was probably the, my first encounter with her. And I was mm, probably nine, 18, 19, you know, just a freshman in college. And yeah, just really powerful. I mean, it was it's a painful book, right? And I think, you know, again, that's somewhere I feel like um, she sort of gives me the courage to talk about really painful things mm-hmm. and to, through all of that, to kind of bring a sense of, um of hope. So, I, I mean, that seems kind of contrary, but uh, I think it's something that she does really well. And so I would say, you know, just starting with that book, which you were talking about, um, you had mentioned to Autumn, you know, something that you would read differently after mm-hmm. the pandemic, you know, think about reading something, you know, some 30 to 40 years later as, as an adult. And, you know, I need to actually, this has been inspiring me to go back and, and reread all those books, because I think, you know, we always perceive something that from that moment that we're in. And so eager to revisit actually a lot of these works, especially after seeing um, them uh, in their formation at, through the archives. Do you have that sensation or that experience with your own work when you go back and look at something you've done? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I absolutely do. You know, when you're making a piece, you always think it's about something. And then I think as you get older and more mature and you've experienced more, you realize, well, maybe it's not just about this or maybe it wasn't ever about that. Uh, (laughs) uh, You know, I think when I had my first child, I made a piece. And um, now that my kids are 30 and 33, I look at those pieces, I go back and look at those pieces and like, oh, well, you know, but this could also talk about something completely different, not about child rearing or anything. It could be talking about, I don't know, the the ballast in life and all of that. So, yeah. And I think that's what's beautiful about art and literature and music that we, you know, can, it means different things at different times, you know, just in terms of how we're, we're, what we we're, we're bringing to it. So. When I was speaking to Autumn earlier, I asked her about the research process and Toni Morrison's research process because it was interesting to see some of the and to read about some of the things in the archives. The the idea she looked for maps of the, where the Underground Railroad was in Ohio, the way that she sort of informed herself. Um, when you are thinking about history and using history in your art, what is your research process and what about his, what are you drawn to in history? Yeah. And, you know, I think that's what's so important about showing what goes into these pieces, because, you know, I always had this sort of idea that, you know, oh, writers were just so fortunate that they could just pull this stuff out of the ether and and there it is done. And, you know, they didn't have to have chisels. They didn't have to have a massive studio and all of that. But, you know, to see um, to be able to witness the process um, and all that goes into it in terms of researching. And, you know, I I think there's a lot of uh, it relates in a lot of ways. You know, when I'm when I'm carving, I'm using a large block of wood and I'm just carving it down until it gets to where it needs to be. And I think, you know, maybe the writing process, I now recognize that the writing process is similar, that you're kind of constantly, you know, hewning it down to something until you get to, to where you want it to be. So for me, you know, I, it usually starts with an idea, um, a lot of looking up roots of words, a lot of, again, looking at botanical Mm -hmm. books um, and looking at farming manuals, also looking at um, slave ledgers, uh, enslaved ledgers. And so 
yeah, I think we're probably doing a lot of similar research, even though the work, you know, is very different that, you know, all these um, sort of ideas are kind of solidified by having this information behind it. Yeah. Is there a piece or one or two pieces that you would like people to spend a few extra seconds in front of in this exhibition cycle of creativity, Alison Saar and the Toni Morrison papers, or one that maybe sort of excites you that's, that it's part of this? Um, well, I, I think at the piece Torch Song, which is a female figure um, holding out her hand with, the, with a flame in her hand, and then she's wearing basically piano keys, almost like a bandolero, like, you know, uh, bullets across her chest. And, and really the idea came from, you know, listening to sort of uh, music, blues, whatever you think of Bessie Smith and how, you know, these are often viewed as being, you know, torch songs traditionally like romantic songs or whatnot, but, you know, really beneath that there's songs of resistance. And, um, and so I really love this idea that, you know, this was music um, for the battlegrounds. And I think that was a lot of music I was listening to again over the past three years um, Mm. and how um, it really helped fortify me and helped me kind of get through some of these very dark days we've been experiencing. And so, and I, and I think we're going to be able to have some of some music that inspired me in the gallery when people are visiting. So I'm hoping people, uh, you know, a lot, a little bit of time to just sit and listen to the music and listen to the lyrics or, you know, think about what music is meant to them and to take that piece in and then uh, be able to step out into the fray again. <laughs> that piece is Torch Song that we've been talking about. I did want to ask about the Harriet Tubman statue at a Harlem in 122nd Street. As I mentioned, the first black woman to be commemorated in a public sculpture in New York City. <laughs> what is, you know, somebody asked me this question recently, and it was so, and I had to think about it for a while, and I want to ask it to an artist is, why is public art important? Oh, gosh. Um, I think public art, when it's at is you know, when it really works is when it somehow engages the public to somehow rethink what they're doing and what their experience is. And when I was invited to, um, you know, submit uh, my designs for this, I was really excited that uh, Obama had just been elected president. And it felt to me that it was a a time of change. Um, And I was also really intrigued. You know, we all have a very limited notion of Harriet Tubman, you know, as, you know, you know, the um, conductor of the Underground Railroad, but she was so much more. And just, I, what I really wanted to talk about in that piece and um, share with people that are walking up and down, you know, up to 125th Mm -hmm. Street, walking up and down St. Nicholas, is this idea that this is a woman who, you know, couldn't read or write, um, had a disability in terms of that she was prone to um, seizures. And she was able to just do so much and give so much. And she continued to give throughout her life and to just, you know, ask people to take a moment to think about, you know, what small thing can they do whether it's donating money, whether it's donating time at a library to read to kids or what's, or picking up trash off the street, what small thing can each of us do to kind of make this place a little bit better? And so, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, it's a sculpture of Harry Tumman, but it's a sculpture about compassion. And I mm. think public art can, can, can do that. And that is just kind of 
people are able to go in there. It doesn't cost them anything. They can just, you know, sit and look at something and it can bring to them whatever they need. So I'm hoping that's, um, that's my goal for public art in the future. It's not, it doesn't always do that, but. <laughs> I love the idea that someone can happen upon it and it can change their day. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that she's become like this meeting place. I mean, people, yeah. you know, groups gather there for just friends meet there or large groups there. I think it's been this, uh, the source of the Women's Labor March a couple of times. And so I love that it, it's, it becomes a landmark. So it's ex very exciting for me. I'm very thrilled that she is able to kind of go beyond my limited ideas in making her and become something else in her own right. My guest has been Allison Saar. You can see the exhibition Cycle of Creativity, Allison Saar and the Toni Morrison Papers starting tomorrow at the Princeton University Art Museum. It will be up through July 9th. Allison, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you so much, Allison, for having me. Talk to you later. Bye. WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com slash WNYC and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off.